Our Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 16 through 19, and can be found on page 167 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 40 of the Children's Bibles. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, and can be found on page 975 of the Bibles we provide and on page 268 of the Children's Bible. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cheryl. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount these Sunday mornings, and we come almost to the end. We're in chapter 7, Matthew. You'll find this on page 812 
of our Bibles or page 216 of the children's Bibles. As I said last week, in chapter 7, it's easy to read this and get the sense that Jesus is simply uh, giving his disciples a series of unrelated but important uh, good words that he wants them to remember. I think instead that something else is going on. Jesus began this sermon so graciously with the Beatitudes and, and saying, look at how much God loves people that this world doesn't value. The gospel always preceding the call to life. But then he begins to describe life in the kingdom. Those who've known this kind of grace are to live differently, and that's what he's doing in the sermon. As he comes to the end, he's now adding torque because he wants us to realize that these are not merely good suggestions for people that want to be really deeply spiritual. Uh, He's saying this is a matter of life and of death. This morning around 5.30, I uh, dropped off my oldest grandchild, uh, my 16-year-old, who lives in Hong Kong, dropped him off at the airport. And as we were driving to the airport, wanting not to be overbearing grandfather, but nonetheless to, to speak into his life again, I just said, Jaden, I love you so very much, and I hope that when you're my age, you won't have as many reasons uh, to regret things that you did at your age. Uh, you have a great opportunity to learn from the mistakes of grandparents and parents and others that you see. And so not to have to make all those same mistakes. And God's grace is always there. His forgiveness is there. But, but don't waste years. I wasted so many years. Don't waste years of your life. Now, why did I say that? Because I love him so much and I want so much for him to choose life. That's what Jesus is doing here. He wants his disciples to choose life and to realize that there are choices that we make now that will echo for all of eternity. So that's what he's doing here. And it's all really of one theme, beginning with verse verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The gospel of Christ. It's hard to say thanks be to God for that that word. 
Jesus gives us three couplets to consider, three pairs to consider. He says first that there are two gates leading to two different paths. And then secondly, he says there are two different kinds of guides along the way. And thirdly, that there are two different kinds of travelers. He starts with a depiction of gates leading to paths. He says there's one gate, very attractive, you can see it, it's like one of these lovely gates uh, inviting someone into one of our gated communities. But the gates are wide open, people are flooding in, it's wide, it's spacious, it's easy, you can drive, it's, you don't even have to get, it's just here you go. And after all, that seems to be where everyone is going. And as an ad a few years ago said, you know, can four million Americans be wrong? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the sense that if that's where the crowd's going, they must know something, that's the way to go. The problem, Jesus says, is that that path leads to destruction. There's another gate, it's a little harder to see, don't seem to be many people going through that gate. And when you do look on through it, it seems to be narrow and rocky and it sort of heads straight uphill and you're going to have to walk. And there aren't many people going that way and everybody's going this way. And again, you know, this looks like the place where it'll be easy and fun. But Jesus says it's this other path this hard path that leads to life. We live in an age, and I'm sure every age is afflicted with it, but ours very particularly because of the sort of philosophical base of what is taught now and what is widely believed, and it undergirds our, our public discourse, our political discourse, our teaching, virtually everything. And it's basically that you know, you choose your own truth, you choose your own good, you choose your own way, it's up to you. They all ultimately lead the same, which is just to death, because life's meaningless if you press it. But the truth is that if you want to go to New York, no matter how free you are, if in your freedom you decide that you prefer the weather in Florida to the weather in New Jersey, so you're going to go to New York by going south. You're free to do it, but you'll never get where you want to go. If you really want to go to New York, at some point, you're going to have to stop and have a change of mind, which is what repentance is, and have a change of direction, which is what conversion is, and you're going to have to head north. Jesus is always pressing in to our desire just to be nice and inclusive and everything's great and everything's fine. And Jesus is the kind of the party pooper who keeps saying no. What's he talking about, this narrow gate? He is, I think, reflecting on what he said to his disciples in John 14 when he said, I'm going to the Father. How can you leave us? You know the way where I'm going. No, we don't know the way. I am the way. 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The wrong implication that too many people, I think, take, even believers, from Jesus' words here is the idea that I have to choose between a life that's fun and filled with people and entertainment and action, Broadway, but kind of fall off the cliff at the end, or kind of a life that's hard and not fun and kind of unattractive, but in hopes that, that there is a life after and the gospel is true and that there'll be reward for that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Not for a moment. And it goes against the Bible's descriptions of the way that leads to death and the way that leads to life. You begin to taste of death on the road to death and of life on the road to life. I can't ever read this without thinking of uh, just these wonderful mountains that you have so graciously let me enjoy for almost 30 years. Uh, I love being able in all kinds of weather to go up into the Smokies and hike. And it always perplexes me and sort of bemuses me that most people who go up to the mountains never get out of their cars. They're on the broad way. It's easy. They just drive up. Maybe somebody in the car has the camera out the window photographing it all. So once they get home, they can see what they saw or what they didn't see. But that's where it is. And, and maybe the, the more adventuresome ones will go up to Newfound Gap and pull over and get out of their cars and, and go stand by the wall and look. <laughs> maybe take a picture or two. And the really adventurous ones will go on up to Klingman's Dome and, and climb that long concrete <laughs> path that leads to the tower and get some good... I mean, then there are those few, relative few, who park and hit a trail and begin to climb and begin to sweat Maybe you have to take off the coat. Maybe if you're like me, going up's not so bad, but coming down is a real test for the knees. But it's worth it. Because the further you get from those cars and from the noise, the more you begin to hear the wind moving through the trees and to hear the gurgle of a mountain brook breaking down through the laurels. And to smell and, and see the glory, the beauty of the creation. Is it a harder way? Of course. Is it a better way? Oh, you bet. The one is for those who love to climb just death. The worst thing in the world that can happen is getting caught in that horrible circle at Cades Cove in all the cars. <laughs> You know, you just, you wanted to go for a hike and now it's going to take you an hour and a half while people drive and take pictures. Look, deer, bear. It's, you know, that's the way that in the end leads to nothing. <laughs> nothing. 
you go up the mountains. It's life. It's joy. It's pain. That's what Jesus is talking about. Except in, he's saying there is a choice of paths that has ultimate consequences. Second thing that he asks basically or warns his disciples about is the guide that you choose to lead you on this journey. Who's advising you on the journey? Israel had prophets who no matter what was happening were, were popular because they always said, they cried peace, peace, when there was no peace. They were all, their message was shalom. God loves you. God has, everything's fine. Uh, God, God, you know God loves you. You're the greatest ever. Look at all his promises, so don't worry about it. Yes, you're disobedient, but we're all disobedient. We're all sinners. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe, but forget the last part. Um, it is grace misapplied. It is the call to faith without the call to the life of faith. It is the call to take half of Jesus' promises seriously, but not showtime the other half. And so he says, who's your guide here? There are good guides, there are bad guides. And the bad guide is the one who just tells you what you want to hear, the book that always makes you feel good and never challenges you. The preacher who always tells you, you leave going zippity-doo-dah, you know, isn't this great? And he says, look at their fruit. You can't get grapes from thorn bushes. You can't, you can't get figs from thistles. A good tree will bear good fruit, a bad tree bad. Will you say, how do I know which is the fruit? Jesus already told us back early in the sermon, chapter 5, when he said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Anyone who diminishes, who reduces God's Torah, his instruction, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom. Don't follow such as that. But the ones who instead Teach the whole counsel of God. That's the one who's showing you the way to life. So I ask you first, what road are you on this morning? What path are you on? Whom do you listen to? Who is molding and shaping your, your thoughts, your spiritual life? It's much the same as he said in, as the psalmist said in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the Torah, the instruction of the Lord, and on his Torah he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth fruit in his season. The unrighteous are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. This is the theme all through Scripture. And Jesus is pressing it in. Now, the third picture is the one that <clears throat> I find myself resenting just a little bit. This is the point where I feel like my mentor I told you before. I walked in, uh, Roger Quam, who uh, sort of on, on the job in church, mentored a, a lot of us young pastors, went into his office. He was sitting there 
looking like Winston Churchill, which he could. And I said, what's wrong? He said, God's been talking to me, and I don't like his tone of voice. And um, that's how I feel with this third picture. Why? Because he's now going to challenge, he says, there are two different kinds of travelers. So here's where we identify now. Which road am I on? Who are my guides? Well, let's be honest. Which of these two travelers am I? And I would have wanted him to do what, for example, Paul did in Galatians where he lists all the sins and says, these people won't inherit the kingdom of heaven, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Now, that's true. Paul's talking about the necessity of a transformed life. But Jesus was always so incredibly sensitive to the broken sinner who, would, who was already crushed by the sense of guilt and sin and who's expecting him at this point in the sermon to say, those of you who do these things, I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not what Jesus does. He knows that they're grappling with their own sin, that they know they're in need of grace. Jesus describes people like me, professional Christians, He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In that day, he said, there will be many who say, didn't we prophesy, preach in your name? Didn't we cast out demons, work miracles? Didn't we do all these things that are supposed to mark us as your servants? Don't we bear the marks of those who are spirit-filled, and we're the ones who have arrived. We're the teachers. And Jesus said, in that day, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, because you did not do the will of my Father. As I come to the end of my ministry, I want, I want, I want some confidence that I'll hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not depart from me, I never knew you. But he's describing here religious leaders who think we've arrived, who think we're the ones who have it, and will teach the others. Now, Jesus says, are you doing my Father's will? Well, what is it? His will. Two things the gospel says. One, the will of his Father is that we believe in him. In other words, we don't believe in ourselves. We don't think we've arrived. We're not trusting ourselves. We're trusting him. And secondly, is what we do an expression of our love for him and our love for one another? And Paul, of course, nails that as eloquently more eloquently probably than anyone in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where he says, if I, even if I'm as eloquent in preaching the word as, as, as anyone could ever possibly be, if my preaching is not moved by love, God will use it. God can use anything. But I am just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I work miracles, if I prophesy, if I wow the crowd and lives are changed, 
but it's not because of my love for God and my love for his people. It may profit them by his grace, but it profits me nothing. He even says, if I give up my body to be burned, if I die a martyr's death, if I get a day named after me in the liturgical calendar. But God knows that I was moved to that act of self-sacrifice by self-love and desire for fame rather than by love for him and love for others. Paul says, it is nothing, nothing. What kind of traveler are you? What kind of traveler am I? Our theology can be immaculate, our ministry energetic, but God wants our hearts. He wants to change us from people obsessively focused on ourselves into people who are learning, stumbling along, tripping, but learning to love as he's loved us. Does that save us? No. It is the sign that he has saved us. It's the sign that We've received his grace. We're going now into our mission conference. And we'll ask, as we always do, we'll give you this call to prayer and ask you to start praying this week, daily, together, as encouraged day by day in this wonderful little guide. We'll ask you to respond, to, to give generously, to pray, perhaps to go. And I pray that many of you will respond. I pray that this will be a new beginning for this congregation. And if you do it, God will use it. Nothing is wasted. But if you do it out of guilt or shame or desire for praise, rather than out of love for Him and love for one another. There's a, a tragic emptiness at the heart of it for you. I set before you today life and death. Choose life and live.